0: Good morning. How's everybody doing? Wonderful. I'm going to need your help today. Tim, you're my wingman. You promised to pray for me. All right. So I'm going to hold you to it. Is that fair? All right. Well, folks, how many of you have had great news in your life recently and you just joy? I'm not going to ask you to say what it was, but I'm just curious. How many of you have had joy in your life recently? Just raise your hand by show. Good, good, good number of folks. How many of you have had some tough news, difficult news? Okay. And you see the balance there. Pretty much the same across the board if you were looking around. I didn't give a count, but I would guess it's about the same. This life is filled with ups and downs. Can we all agree to that? You better believe it. Um, I, I, want, I wanted to talk about prayer this morning. And it's not because I've got it all figured out. Okay, I'm just going to be quite honest with you. Um, but because that's an area of my life I want to grow. That's an area that I'm, as I'm getting older, I'm seeing the importance of prayer in life, not just for myself, but people around me. People are in such need. There's such confusion in the world today. And we've got a couple goals today. And I think we're going to see that prayer actually is that conduit. And we've been blessed to be that conduit in prayer, be part of that conduit, that we can see God's kingdom manifest through us and actually shape and change this world. That's a powerful piece. And I want to tell you, as we talk about prayer, you've probably seen much of what I've seen in life as well. We've seen two, probably, think of a pendulum swinging back and forth in prayer. There's prayers that hit the transcendence of God, and there's prayers that hit the eminence of God. And what I mean by that, there's prayers that are so stoic, and God is certainly separate. He is holy. He is far beyond our reach because of the character of who He is and His holiness, We also see that uh, Jesus is our brother. He calls us brother, he calls us friend, he calls us family, and that's eminence. And sometimes we see prayers that swing on this pendulum that we pray so stoically and we don't really hit the heart of God, we've we've just missed. And other times we swing to the left and we treat God more like a buddy and a butler than we do anything else. Can you guys associate with that? You've probably seen that, and maybe you've been guilty of praying in that what I hope today is that we're able to see, not from what I'm teaching, but from what we see in God's Word, just how amazing we can hit the mark every time if we just put, we allow God to be who God is, and we recognize where we are in our dependence upon Him. But I've got a couple goals today. Number one is that uh, we recognize that we're truly grafted into God's kingdom and His house of prayer. That's pretty cool. The second thing is we recognize that we're living stones. If you remember a couple weeks back, I got to talk about Peter. And Peter acknowledged that we are living stones with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. But let's take that a step further. Not only living stones, but we're pillars of prayer. Did you get that? That's the the message today. And I'm not going to give five pillars you pray by. I'm simply recognizing that we are the pillars of prayer. And that's how we connect his kingdom to to this fallen world. Well, I did a little research, and I found out there's about 650 prayers recorded in the Bible, and I hope we get through all of them today. (laughs) Okay, we won't do that. I'm going to pick about four out, if that's okay. Uh, It's not to say that any of those others, you know, 646 are less meaningful, but there were four that really stood out to me. And folks, this week, I just could not get out of my head Jesus clearing, cleaning out the temple. He was really cleaning out the temple. If you remember... Uh, Phil spoke a couple of weeks back about judgment starts first in the church. Wow, that has really laid heavy on me. A personal note, I want to make sure that my life is clean before the Lord, it's clean before my family, it's clean before my coworkers. I want God to use me. And he's not going to take me if I'm dirty and pour me out in the life of other people. That's contamination. But he wants me to resign myself to his authority. And then we take it to the next level. God wants us to do that in the church. What if everybody in here would just say, hey, confession, we want to be clean. We want the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to dwell in me personally, and I'm going to take responsibility to do that because the things I do and the things I don't do affect the people that are sitting beside me, in front of me, and behind me. What if we did that as a congregation? What would happen in that day? If you remember, there were places in the Bible where the early church would pray and the ground shook. The ground shook. And people say, well, you know, there's a lot of earthquakes back in that day. Okay. I don't think so. There was, but not like that one. What happens if Life Point Church, we turn to the Lord, we become so clean because of, not because of self-righteousness, but because of self-awareness. And we allow God to move in our life in an amazing way. Because it's no longer about our economy. It's about God's economy and what He wants to do in this world through us. How powerful and how groomed a tool we would be as Life Point Church to begin prying and chipping away things that are around us that are so devastating. We'd be able to be an instrument that could surgically help repair lives of those around us, not because we're smart or we're great, but because we have the power of the Holy Spirit coursing through us, and he knows fully what his creation needs. Isn't that amazing? That's where I want to be by the end of today. You think we can make it? Yeah, that's a big challenge, isn't it? All right, but we're going to go for that, all right? Jesus himself had about 25 prayers that were recorded in the New Testament. I and mean, that's not to say that Jesus only prayed 25 times, but it is to say that it was important that it was recognized Jesus prayed. So I went through just off the top of my head and I looked through some of the prayers that he wrote, and I'm going to give you a list of things that I saw uh, that were prayer topics for Jesus. All right, you ready? All right. The first one was Thanksgiving. Forgiveness for others. When he was on the cross, he prayed forgiveness for others. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Uh, He prayed for unity of the church. He prayed for us. We weren't even alive yet, but he knew you by name. He knew me by name. He knows every hair on our head. He prayed that we would have unity. He prayed for him to be committed to obedience, obedience to death on a cross. He prayed for relief. Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, your will be done. He prayed for the peace of Israel, that I might take them like chicks under my wing. He prayed for protection of the flock, which is us. He prayed that he would continue to have submission to his Father in heaven. He prayed about the unveiling and revelation of the Father's work and his will for humanity. He prayed humanity would see that he and the Father were one. He prayed for the resurrection of Lazarus. He prayed blessing upon food and upon his flock. He prayed his father would be glorified. He prayed for perpetual communion with his father. He prayed for kingdom expansion and so on. And those are the ones that I could find just in just a few minutes searching through. We also look at key figures. In the Bible. And as I was going through a list of what they prayed for, and we're going to talk about some of those today, there were those that prayed for salvation, forgiveness, health, for their children and the children's salvation. Key figures prayed for others' well being, for peace, for wisdom, for relief, for understanding. For help, for comfort, for plan and purpose. Other people prayed for the ability to recognize God's will. People prayed for humility. And by the way, don't pray for patience. I'll just throw that one in there. You'll get it. People prayed for grace, hope. One prayer I thought was interesting was a prayer of declaration. Wow. Wow. Submission, and also prayers of panic. Anybody ever had a prayer of panic? Yeah. Nehemiah, why so downcast? And Nehemiah shows up, says, I took a deep breath and I pray, God, give me the words. And the course of history was changed because of that prayer. Well, we know that Jesus had plenty of practice, and his goal was to spend alone time with his Father in heaven. He was consistent. And as a result of this, he was perfectly able uh, to connect and invest in humanity. Do you guys see that? Whenever you're spending time with the Lord, things change. Your outlook on people that may be uh, frustrating to you or um, maybe have a child that's wayward, that you begin to understand a little bit more about what's going on because the Lord begins to reveal to you different things. What I thought was neat in studying this, and it's not new to many of you who've been a Christian at at, at any length of time, is that the disciples didn't ask much of Jesus. But what was the one thing that they did did ask of Jesus? Do you know what it was? Teach me how to pray. Teach me how to pray. And why? Because they made the connection between Jesus' prayer life and his power and his grace and his humility, his confidence, his leadership. His compassion and his love. They made the connection. He's not here. But when he came back, he was energized and things were changing. He's not here. When he came back, people were flocking to him and their lives were changed. They were healed. All because he spent time and the disciples want to know what is the secret. Is there secret sauce to prayer? And what I would ask to do right now is I want you to join with me in the Lord's prayer. And I want you to listen to every word that we say. You ready? Our Father Jesus gave a clear guide to approaching the Father in heaven. But I want to focus on three words as we go through this today. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. What does that mean? Well, in the broader sense, we're guests in his world. And his world has rules. When Adam and Eve were created, they were created with very few list of responsibilities but they were given much blessing. And the one thing they were told to do is eat of this, don't eat of that. And when they disobeyed, things changed. And I think what we can see is that um, there's two competing kingdoms. If we are guests in God's world and his kingdom, and we can see kingdom is a word that's that's taken all the way from the beginning in Genesis, all the way through the book of Revelation, your kingdom come, your kingdom, your world. Satan has entered this world, and he wants to bring a new set of rules into God's kingdom. So let me ask you, what happens, what happens when Satan brings his rules into God's economy and his kingdom? What do you think happens there? It's conflict. Okay, think about in your own life, in your own prayer life, when we're obedient to the Lord, we're following him, and then we begin to change and follow what Satan wants to do, that just that little bit of, of, just a narrow change and diversion of what God wants to do, conflict begins to occur. You see, prayer connects his kingdom purposes through us to a fallen world, That's why we need to be pure in what we do. That's why it should be preeminent in our lives that when we come to church, it's not a show of how great we are. It's a show of our absolute need for the Lord. It should be a confession. Every time we walk through those doors, it should be a revelation to everybody else that those are people in severe need, and we need to say amen and hallelujah because we are people in severe need. We don't have it figured out. We're going to go visit our king, and we're going to learn about his kingdom plans Because we don't want this uh, satanic kingdom, world principles to invade our lives. Because we know that there's more to the story. If you notice, there's no I in prayer. Um, We are to be given to his kingdom. We are to be given to his rules and his authority over his kingdom. And you may be able to associate. I gave a list of Jesus, the things that he would pray about. I gave a list of some of the key figures in the Bible but I'll also tell you that uh, when I begin reading, I said, well, what's my list? Sometimes my list is me, and then me, me, and then sometimes a little bit more me, and I throw in a little bit of me, me, and me. It's easy to do, isn't it? We go to God, honestly, in our minds with this not-kingdom principle. How can we be submitted to the authority of God is much better. And then God moves us, and we realize we don't pray for ourselves in a selfish sense anymore, we pray that God will help change and shape us so that we can impact and come alongside what God is doing and change this world. So that's a challenge for today. But you know, Satan has his own kingdom and he tries to bring his own rules into this world. And somehow we, from a worldly sense, think that um, we're empowered to challenge his authority. And the result is that kingdom conflict. If you don't believe me, look back to Jesus when the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the elders, the chief priests kept challenging Jesus. They would challenge him on the merits that they didn't believe in. Sadducees didn't even believe in the resurrection, nor demons, nor angels. Yet they would challenge uh, Jesus and say, well, say that Sally over here has a husband. He dies and she gets remarried to his brother and then his brother and brother. Well, first of all. Whose husband is she in the resurrection? Well, that was the Sadducees who didn't even believe in the resurrection. So it was a measure of hypocrisy. It was a matter of sarcasm. And guys, look at this world today. You try to debate or talk to someone who is in the satanic mindset in Satan's kingdom, it's not even worth the argument. They're going to lead with such sarcasm. And guys, the root of sarcasm is anger. And the root of anger is is fear because when you get down to it, they're fearful. They know that the word of God is true and they know that they are not submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ. They know that they're not submitting to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Instead, I'm going to bring into this world as a guest what I want to bring into it. I'm going to track my dogs in, I'm going, to let, I'm going to bring in everything that I want to do. I'm going to stay up late, come in late. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And as a result of that, there's conflict. There's competing ideologies. There's social issues, racism, violence, gender confusion, globalism, economic destruction, etc. Take your cherry pick. It's all over the news. And the world's in such chaos because of it. Families are at war. Politics are more important than anything else. Can I get any amens on that? Well, all prayers in the Bible are powerful on their own. God does not look at the length of our pleas or the request or how perfectly prayers were created. Remember the transcendence and imminence? Okay? He does not look at a person's status in society, but at the status of their hearts. God shows His unconditional love and unfailing grace to everyone who has faith in Him, and the Bible is timeless, and its words are our guide to life. Now, I'm going to ask you to turn. If I think I've got some slides that may be popped up, but I'm going to talk about a few people this morning. The first person I want to talk about is Hezekiah. Hezekiah had a prayer for courage and deliverance, and if you remember, Hezekiah was the 13th successor in line of David's throne. And as um, Phil spoke last week, you have a divided kingdom. You have 10 tribes in the north, two in the south. It's a divided kingdom. Hezekiah was over the south. He was uh, stationed there. And what we find is that Sennacherib, okay, Sennacherib was king over Assyria. And we understood that Assyria was horrific. Can't even talk about the things that they would do to um, their enemies. Sennacherib invades judah and they begin to uh, take over different towns and they begin to burn everything well hezekiah recognizes this and the first thing he does is he gets his uh, generals together and he goes to the lord in prayer and he begins to say hey it's only a matter of time before they come here we're going to rebuild the wall we have we're going to put another wall around this for protection we're going to cut off the water source and let the fields die out why let them camp out and have all the food and everything that we've done and then we're going to go to war and fight Well, sure enough, not before too long, and actually while this was happening, Sennacherib shows up with what actually has his general show up with a letter, a note that not only says we're going to come in here, there's no God that's going to save you, we're going to burn your fields, we're going to take your lives, and um, you've got no hope. And as a result of that, Hezekiah doesn't panic. We're going to see what he does, and as a result is how God delivers him. 2 Kings 19 14 through 19. Hezekiah received a letter from the messengers and it read, and excuse me, and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hands so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord our God. Well, lessons we can learn from Hezekiah, a couple things. Number one, in troubling times, seek God first. So right now, some of you may be facing your own Sennacherib. You may be. I know there's times that we have. The immediate action Hezekiah took uh, when it began to ridicule his faith wasn't that he panicked, but the first thing he did is he took a deep breath and he went before the Lord and he prostrated himself before the Lord. We can see that in the first couple verses. Secondly, we see that he didn't complain or wallow in pity. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to Israel? Instead, he said, hey, this is part of life. We're going to get through it. And secondly, declaring who God is. In verse 15 and 16, if you look at this, Hezekiah took the time to establish and acknowledge God's identity as the king of all majesties. Watch out after Hezekiah declared God is God alone. He recognized God's power as the maker of heaven and earth. And in recognizing this power, Hezekiah's faith and courage begin rising. Likewise, when we pray, we make declarations. Declarations strengthen our courage. Third thing we see is that when we seek deliverance, remember it it is for God's glory. If you look at verse 19, look how Hezekiah uh, ended his prayer. So that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. So Hezekiah's request for deliverance was not rooted in self-interest, but in God's interest. He asked for deliverance so that God could be glorified and would be glorified. And when we face trials and challenges, it's okay to ask for that deliverance from God. I would have to say that he definitely is a pillar of prayer. But you know, God showed up in a unique way. When he prayed and prostrated himself before the Lord, camped outside with Sennacherib's army. And God sent an angel of the Lord and destroyed all of them. And those that did remain went back. Sennacherib went back to his home. And when he walked in the door, his sons killed him. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Let's talk about a second person, because I want to spend time in prayer today. Hannah. Hannah's prayer of desperation, adoration, and praise. We talk about the prayer of Hannah. There's actually two prayers, and it's probably two of the most powerful prayers in the Bible. We know that she was a faith-filled woman, and she faced a lot of she faced a problem of barrenness. Um, her husband um, Elkanah was a polygamist had had another had another wife. I guess sister wives. I, I'm not sure how that worked back then, but his other wife. Um, had several children, and every time that they went to the temple, he would give her a portion and for the children. And then Hannah would go, and he would give her a double portion. No doubt he loved her. No doubt. But because she was barren and could not have children, she felt cursed. But on top of that, this uh, sister wife of hers would ridicule her and mock her. Now, we may not understand um, how deep that hurt her and cut her, but given the time when this happened, um, it, was, it was a big thing not to be able to have children in this particular culture. And when she's not able to have children, it only added heap and insult on her personal life. So think year after year, the Bible says that year after year, she would go to the temple. and it's easy to fall into bitterness. she'd had it. She'd had it. She finally had it. And we look at First Samuel one ten, and listen to these words. In her deep anguish, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow, saying and praying, Lord Almighty, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And then first Samuel two one through ten. My heart... Okay, I'm going to stop there for a second. So what happened? What did God do? He he, he gave her a son, Samuel. And she tells her husband that, look, once the child is weaned, I'm going to take him to the temple, and he's going to serve in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. That's pretty amazing. I don't know who could do that. I mean, if you don't like your children, no, no, I... But that's difficult. If you love your children, and this is a special child, and we, st- we keep seeing this history roll over and over again, one and only son, one and only son, one and only son, okay? Same thing here. Hannah prayed. God had given her the, the, the desire of her heart. She loved this child, but she loved the Lord more. Answer prayer and follow up with that commitment. If you do this, then I will. And God did that, and She did. And as a result of that, we have the books of Samuel, and we have some amazing things Samuel did and prayed to change the course of history for the, Israels, for the Israelites. So let's look now. This is after. This is when she's dropping off her her, her, chi- her child, Samuel. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. And I got to stop. The song we just sang, I will lift your name on high when I'm in the valley. Yes, I will. Okay. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak with such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumble are armed with strength. Those who were full hired themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has born seven children, but she who has many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes it alive. He brings down to the grave and raises. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy. From the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who pose the Lord will be broken. The highest will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Just a few things from Hannah's prayer. Number one, we've got to be honest about our condition. She's broken. I don't know if it's you, but you know, I'm a big dude. But I will tell you, there's been times in my life I have been on my knees wailing and weeping because of something going on in my life. Some of it from personal decisions and bad destruction, other things because just out of my control. I am so justified. Why is this happening? I'm a good person. Why is this happening? And I have literally been on my knees and just weeping. I can't understand why, but I was honest about my condition. Another thing Hannah did was begin her prayer in adoration. She didn't start out me, me, poor me, but she started out in adoration. My heart rejoices in the Lord in my horn, the Lord is lifted high. She didn't talk about her son Samuel. She didn't say, hey, Look what I've got, thank you so much. Not that she wasn't, but she said, I'm going to focus on you. Your kingdom come. I'm going to focus on you and what you're going to do through this young man. And as a result, you look through all of those things listed in that prayer, and they became fulfilled. Thirdly, remember that God is our only constant. If you look at verse 2, God's our only constant stronghold. With all the things happening around us, we can hold to him, just like Hannah did. We can put our trust in him. Here's the tough one, number four from Hannah's prayer. Letting go of the transgressions others have done to you. We prayed that earlier corporately, didn't we? How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever been done wrong by somebody? Someone said something to you? They've acted upon something. They've um, physically hurt you in some way. They've emotionally manipulated you in some way. It's all possible. How hard is that to let go when someone has sinned against you? It's difficult. You know, Wesley, it's just amazing what the Lord is is doing through you and your your friends uh, talking about the trafficking condition. And how hard, as, as I watched that, it was just so hard to see these young girls and women who, and uh, children who were trafficked and uh, horrible things done to them. Yet they came out of that because they're in a new kingdom now. They were translated from this kingdom of darkness into this kingdom of light. And only because of the grace of God and you and your friends and others working in an area that puts light on it. You serve as a conduit of change. You're bringing kingdom come, heaven to earth. So I want to point that out, but thank you. But this is exactly it. Transgression, how do you let go of that? She let go of it. She didn't look at her husband who said, am I not better than 10 sons? Okay. She didn't look at this other woman and say, I'm going to get you back, and my kid's now in the temple. I got a T-shirt. No, she said she let go of it. She let go of all of it. But in all circumstances, understood, she understood which kingdom she was in. Let's look at the uh, third one, and this is the last one I'll talk about. And this is Jesus' prayer for surrender and obedience to God. When I look this up, this is in Matthew 26, if you want to turn to Matthew 26, 38 through 42. And guys, I'm looking at time. This is a little bit different. I, I really want to get to the time that we're praying together, if that's okay. But as you turn to that, we see in this prayer uttered from the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, This is just before uh, Jesus fulfills God's plan of salvation. He prayed to God, and he was in great anguish over uh, his approaching physical pain and the ultimate separation he would face from his Father in heaven. Uh, Though Jesus knew his crucifixion was inevitable, and although he would not fail God's will, his human nature still struggled. Now, we'll never experience the depth and despair that Jesus experienced at this time. However, this is a powerful prayer, and we can learn from this as a disciple. Let's look at the verses 26, 38 through 42. Then he said to them, "'My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. "'Stay here and keep watch with me.'" And going a little further... If it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. Well, Jesus can relate to our anguish and distress, can he? Ultimately. I believe, you know, when, when, when Jesus left his throne, he didn't give up deity, no doubt about it. But he, he, he limited himself to time and space. And no doubt he was tempted by Satan like no one else ever could be or would be. No doubt that he suffered the physical burdens beyond what any human could suffer. No doubt he suffered the spiritual alienation from eternal relationship in the Godhead. No doubt we can't fully understand that. But Jesus fully understood the depth, the scope, and the breadth of the human condition. Not one person can ever come to Jesus and say, you just don't understand. There's no way. Jesus understands fully. Next, I want to point out this. You notice what happened. Jesus definitely gave credence to his friends, didn't he? It was important he had friends with him, and he took his closest friends with him to the Garden of Gethsemane. I think they thought it was another night camping out in the garden. But when Jesus says, I need you to pray with me, they didn't quite get it and understand it. But Jesus didn't turn to his friends immediately for advice. He turned to his Father in heaven, and he, he, he allowed himself to say, "Look, your kingdom come. If this cup is not going to pass from me, your kingdom come. Your will be done." And he did. Last thing I want to touch on is this is God's unconditional love for us in Jesus' prayer. We know in Romans 3.23 that we all fall short of the glory of God. But God loves us so much that this is what he allowed to happen. Now, today, as we're getting ready to close out, I don't want to, um, I know it's a little short today, but I want to spend time in prayer, and partly because we're called to be a house of prayer. But I want to give you um, just a reminder that Jesus declared, Jesus was declared by Peter as the cornerstone. We also know that we were declared as living stones. And today the challenge is recognize that each of us are pillars of prayer. Now, I don't want to put anybody in an uncomfortable place in prayer because everybody's in a different place in prayer, different time in walk uh, with the Lord. And that's okay. But as we said before, uh, you see that most of these prayers are just crying out in anguish where there need to be crying out in anguish. There's also prayers where people cried out in praise. There's also examples where people cl- cried out in declaration. Okay? I'm not your Holy Spirit. Okay? I'm simply acknowledging that there's a lot of different emotion in the room. There's a lot of different situations in the room. And God is, grooming all, is using, this to, using all these things to groom us into a tool where we can be a conduit for his kingdom. Prayer changes things. I want to give you one example, and then um, I'm going to give a little bit of time to pray. And I've talked with Dale and uh, Kevin. We're going to we'll let them close out in prayer as well. But years ago, um, uh, one of my children I don't, they, I, the littlest ones had snow globes. I don't remember which ones, but they had snow globes, and sometimes we'd find them broke on the floor. But if everybody know what a snow globe is, okay, or I'll just say glo- I'll just say snow globe. Doesn't have to be snow, but but inside there's something there. Maybe it's a place you visited. Maybe it's a uh, a memorial, I- I'm not sure. Uh, you want a visitation. But I want you to imagine for just a second that that's life, okay? And we begin to shake the snow globe up, and as I'm shaking it and I'm agitating it, uh, are you able to see much? Not much visibility, is there? Because the precipitate is just flowing around, okay? You get bad news, it picks up a little bit more. You decide you're going to bring your kingdom in, rather than in- into God's kingdom rather than Follow his rules. He gets shook up a little bit more. And he gets busy, gets highly agitated, and you get confused, you're looking around, you're not sure what to do. Does anybody ever feel that way? And like, please say yes, because my arm's getting tired. <laughs> but you get what I'm getting at? The snow globe is overwhelming. This is your life. This is your life, and you're shaking it, and everything's crazy, and you can't figure it. I can't I can't even see it. Okay? Even if you kind of hold it for a second, it's still spinning. But all of a sudden, when we say, your kingdom come, and we place the snow globe down in prayer, what begins to happen to all the precipitate inside there? It slows down, doesn't it? It slows down, and if you look at it, it begins to fall. And as it begins to fall, things clear up. And you can see much more clear in life what God has planned for you and what God has planned for others. And I hope that's a good visual. Because in my life, I want to take that snow globe under my wing and I want to wing it. I want my kingdom come. But that's not going to happen. There's only conflict when we introduce our will into God's economy. But if we'll stop, just for a moment, and everybody take their snow globe and put it down in front of them. And in fact, let's put it on the altar before the Lord this morning, okay? And let's ask God to reveal to us what he wants us to see, what he wants us to do, where he wants us to let go of things, where he wants us to trust, how he wants us to pray for others. We can recognize the power of our lives. What if every person today watching or here at LifePoint takes, metaphorically, that snow globe and they stop and they confess, I need I need you, I need your kingdom come today. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. my heart